Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is Lenore Edmond. Lenore is a co-founder of Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories. When she's not building pen plotters, she likes to bake, sew, and make jam for relaxation. Hey, Lenore. Hi, Mark. Hi, Lenore, and welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. It's always great to hear your your picks. We're really excited um, to see what kind of cool stuff you're into these days. Yeah, I kind of picked things around... Um, uh, my pandemic activities. Okay. Um, Perfect. Because, uh, you know, it's been kind of crazy logistically here at Evil Med Scientist. And so I've been trying to, you know, find things that are more uh, soul filling and, and uh, re- rejuvenating. <laughs> so that's yeah. mostly been in the kitchen for me. Oh, wow. I love it. Well, that sounds good. So, so go ahead and tell us the uh, first tool on your list here. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that is very stereotypical uh, that I've been doing is baking. Um, And I have the 1997 edition of the uh, Joy of Cooking, which I believe the title is the all new, all purpose Joy of Cooking. So I don't know if you know this, but the Joy of Cooking has undergone several major revisions over its decades and decades Mm -hmm. of publication. Yes, yes. So, and, so, so is the 97, is that like the last one or is that no, the middle or what? It's the best one. No, it's not. Um, the, <laughs> the best one is whatever one you use the most, right? Okay. <laughs> it's like and your so, best camera. <laughs> so for me, the 1997 one is the best one because it's the one that I use the most. We also have the 1952 um, uh, and it has recipes that the 97 doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't use it very often. There's like one bread that we usually make for Thanksgiving that's in there. But what's great about the 97 edition um, is that it's modern enough uh, that the ingredients are pretty consistently available and it's undergone enough revisions that the the recipes are really, really reliable. And, how, and what's the matter with the 2019 edition? Are they um, not reliable? Uh, I think they are. Uh, uh, there have been a couple of uh, revisions since the 97 one. Like the 97 one made a bunch of people mad because it took some things out. So they put things back in. I just haven't used the newer ones. And so I'm not as familiar with them. Um, I think they're probably just as good. <laughs> um, uh, I love this one. It's the one that my mom got me You know, when I um, was basically starting my own uh, cooking adventures. Mm-hmm. And so it's got special meaning for me. I see. You know, I mean, I just wanted to kind of, we, I think we might even have that version. I don't remember which version. I have some modern version. But I found that even among my two daughters who, who bake and cook a lot, that everybody sort of gravitated to going online. Even though they could walk over and look up the book, they still kind of use their phone or whatever just to look it up. Um, do, do you? Are you not? tempted by that or do you find the a joy in the book itself um i do some recipe stuff online i'll I'll confess that the the 
online recipes that I use the most are my own. Like I go to my blog and I look up my so, um, oh, my recipes for. So, so your um, blog is just your recipe, uh, right? It's, it's so I'm like, I, okay, yeah. I need to make chutney. I'm going to go look up my chutney recipe. Um, <laughs> so I use my phone for that kind of thing, and I use it for for certain things that I don't have in a cookbook, especially like modern um, cuisine from uh, certain cultures. Um, I don't have a lot of cookbooks that have like Malaysian cooking or things like that, where you want something very specific. I definitely am looking online. Yeah. I mean, the joy of cooking is kind of white, I might say, if I may be so bold. Yeah. And they have sort of addressed that through some of the later editions. They yes, added a right. few things. Yeah. So it's interesting because, uh, like I said, I came to, I chose this because of baking in particular. And one of the really reliable bread recipes that we use all the time is the pita dough recipe and the non dough recipe. They work really, really well. Um, and they're different regional breads that aren't very common in America. I mean, other than um, immigrant communities. Um, and I don't use necessarily the cooking techniques, but the dough recipes are really good. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so this is the 1997 Joy of Cooking. I think you said all the all new all purpose, <laughs> yes. uh, which is available on Amazon new it looks like so yeah. um as well as used there's a used copy for 36 cents um so, <laughs> there you go there you go on amazon <laughs> <laughs> i grab that one right now yeah definitely one of the other recipes that i really like from the joy of cooking is the belgian waffle recipe which is a yeasted waffle dough um and it makes a really fluffy um waffle with a lot of depth of flavor. And so when you're looking for a specific recipe, that's not just your most basic thing in a genre. Um, the joy of cooking has a lot of um, variations. They'll have a basic one and then they'll go deeper. And I, I like that about it, that you can improve your skill by um, trying uh, variations on a thing over and over with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, that's a great one. Uh, 97 joy of cooking. What do what we have, have next on our list? Okay, so we call this the red slicing tool. <laughs> it's get, a, get out the red slicing tool. We're, we're, exactly. So it's a it's a mandolin um, by Borner. Um, I think we have the V seven thousand, and we've actually we're on our third one. We buy one every few years because the blades gradually get dull and it's made of plastic, so it can crack. Um, but we use it so much and it really, um, streamlined a lot of things, um, in our cooking process and our prep processes. So this is one that has not just a, um, flat slicer, but also, um, julienne slicer and a coarse chopping. So it has the little extra blades for, for doing coarse chopping. And, um, there are a couple of things that we use it for. I mean, we use it for onions all the time. Everything that has onions goes use the red slicing tool. But there are a couple of things that we've found that it's really good at that we didn't anticipate. And this is things like um, making banh mi slaw, where you're going to lightly pickle the daikon and carrots for sandwich um, slaw. 
And normally the recipes will call for you to grate it. But when you grate things, it kind of tears the surface and it damages the cell structure. Whereas if you do a fine julienne, it um, leaves it crunchier and crispier with a better texture. So similarly, we do this for um, hash browns and for um, latkes. That if you uh, julienne the potatoes instead of grating them, you get um, a, a really different texture that it, it retains the moisture inside the pieces instead of getting wet and soggy. And mm. it's just really great. Amazing. Wow. So this, but this is sort of like your Cadillac version of a mandolin. It's, it's. I mean, I don't know. Um, it looks like it's pretty substantial. Um, does this particular make? Um, have you tried a lot of them, and this is a, the better than the average, or is this- so? We've tried a few. Um- like we ha- we've tried um, some of like the ceramic blade ones, which are more expensive. Um, I think we got a couple of Kyocera ones, but they're really scary to use because they're so sharp and they don't have good um, grippers for holding the, the food as you're slicing it through. One of the things about this one is that it holds um, something like an onion or a potato really securely in the um, uh, handle that you sort of mash onto the onto the vegetable yeah it has like little teeth or spikes on it it has little spikes on it yeah and that works really well and so i don't feel like i'm gonna slice my fingers off uh when i use it because some of the mandolins that i've used are have been just terrifying to use like a guillotine yeah yeah Yeah, just slice it can slice a little slice off of your finger and then we've tried other um, like waffle or wave cutters that just aren't sharp enough or don't work well. And um, this one, like I said, we've gotten the same model three times. As it gets dull, you're like, just doesn't seem like it's working really well. And we'll buy ourselves a new one and we'll be like, oh, yeah, everything is fine again. And when <laughs> I say, well, you know, we've, only, we've gotten three, that's probably over the course of six years. Okay. You know, we get we get one every couple of years, and it's like a treat that we have a new slicing tool. So it used to be the green slicing tool. <laughs> now it's red. Now it's the yeah. red slicing tool. <laughs> that sounds good. Yes, I uh, I have a mandolin. I think I got in here in LA in a little Tokyo, and it's just so great for cabbage and cutting it yeah. and making coleslaw. It's like absolutely a, a bed so of cabbage tasty. if you're making like a chicken katsu or something yeah. you want know, the super fine cabbage yeah it's just perfect yes it's so so good okay so that's that's a great one and it's about 60 bucks so. yep okay so we have another pandemic related comfort food tool <laughs> the potato masher right and okay so it's a potato masher and it's one of the ones that's a wire that is all squiggly shaped Mm-hmm. And I do use it for mashed potatoes, but we don't make mashed potatoes very often, only at like Thanksgiving. I use it for a couple other things. Uh, one is guacamole. Um, I think it makes a nice chunky guacamole because you don't, you aren't mashing it as fine as you would with like a fork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I use it um, very regularly for is jam. Um, when I'm making um, jam, I 
start cooking the fruit and then I mash it with the masher and it breaks up the pieces more and lets the juices and things out so that it gels better. Um, and, uh, I don't have to cut the fruit as fine. I don't have to puree it or anything. I just, you know, cook it down and then mash it with the masher and it helps it to just make a better consistency. I like a kind of a chunky jam. And so I use it for jamming. And this is your classic mashed potato masher. Yeah. I don't have this particular one that I gave you the Amazon link for mine. I have no idea where it's from. It has a wooden handle. Uh, I would love to have one that I could throw through the dishwasher, but mine works well enough that I'm not going to ever replace it. (laughs) Sure. If you're just doing fruit with it, it's probably just an easy matter of rinsing the thing off. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes if you, if you've done potatoes and then you you have to let it sit and soak a bit because it's gotten all starchy, but with, with jam, you know, uh, I pour the water from the can and kettle over all the tools and then they're all clean and happy. (laughs) What kind of fruit jam do you like to make? Uh, we make a lot of plum because we have a plum tree. We Mm -hmm. have a, um, a weeping plum. And so I make plum chutney and plum jam. And then we have a um, Meyer lemon tree. So I make a lot of um, marmalade as well. Um, Although that one I don't usually mash because a slightly different process, but marmalade, plum jam. Recently I made strawberry jam for fun, Um, but mostly plum. Nice. So your your next tool is a Klein, all right, that's already funny. It's a Klein bottle opener, right? Of course, everyone knows right. a Klein bottle is already open. Yeah, that's, um, that's the joke. So, <laughs> so we'll have to make it. You have to make an attempt to describe a Klein bottle. So, a, a Klein bottle is um, like a Mobius strip. So, Mobius strip only has one side. It's a, a flat piece of for instance, paper that, that is twisted so that there's only one side to it. Well, Klein bottle is a bottle that only has one side. It doesn't have an inside or an outside. It just has a side. Um, They usually look a little bit like a figure eight, like the handle is kind of going through the surface and coming out the inside. Right. It's, it's uh, so the Moebius strip is a loop that's twisted. Mm -hmm. And then this is sort of like a bottle that's, Again, twisted on itself and on itself. Right. The the neck goes back into the inside. So Mm -hmm. mathematically it has only one side, although you look at it and there's the inside and but it it doesn't kind of work that way. And so this Klein bottle is made out of metal. Right. It's a 3D printed Klein bottle uh, that is also a bottle opener. So you can use it to open a bottle of, you know, ginger beer or regular beer. Or, um, and uh, it is made by the artist uh, Bathsheba Grossman. And I met Bathsheba at the very first Maker Fair back in 2006 and was just blown away by her artworks, which are um, mathematically generated 3D printed objects, usually in metal um, in a centered process. This particular one comes in a bronzed um, finish. It's really beautiful. And what's wonderful about this um, Klein bottle opener is the way that it feels in your hand. Like it's the one tool that I use that just feels perfect to use. It's the right shape. It has the right amount of leverage. It fits in your palm beautifully. And, and it's a beautiful object and it's a joke. And it's a, and it's a joke. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the bottle is open. So, um, 
Uh, yeah, you almost think that all bottle openers should be that shape. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what's really funny is that there are actually two different Klein bottle openers uh, um, because there's uh, a company called Klein Tools that makes high-end oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, tools for yeah, um, electricians. Yes. And they make one that's a bottle opener. But it's not the... It's not a Klein bottle shaped, but it's made by Klein tools. So it's a Klein, it's still a Klein bottle opener, which just, I think is absolutely charming. It's a nice tool. It it feels really good, you know, like a, Uh like a good hefty screwdriver handle. Um, But uh, it it doesn't have the um, beauty and perfection of the uh, Klein bottle shaped one. Okay. And the Klein bottle is $66 because it's art. It's not just a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, like I said, it's a thing of beauty and it feels amazing in your hand. And yes, it's art. It's definitely art. I love it. That's so cool. I, I, I actually have one of her early sculptures from the Maker Fair days. Um, just a little weird little twisted cube, I guess you would call it. I have yeah. one of her, um, cube like sculptures and also a, a beautiful twisted, um, kind of ball shape she also does some laser um etched uh sculptures in blocks of glass or acrylic that are that are wonderful she's one of the uh, first 3d uh, artists that i knew about and i still find her work to be just amazing well this is really fantastic tell us about your your recent stuff with um your led book so uh, it's not too recent, um, but I got to participate in a, in a project to write a book uh, with some LED projects. Uh, and uh, it was put together um, by folks that we know through uh, Maker Faire. Uh, John Baital is the primary person behind it uh, and collected a bunch of projects from a bunch of different people. And we got to participate, especially in the sort of beginner level projects, the, you know, getting started with LEDs, learning to use resistors and, and do creative things. And so we actually uh, had the opportunity to take some of the stories from our blog and put them into the book uh, so that they could have a new life and a new audience that way. Um, so some of the projects are mine, some are uh, Wendell's, but uh, it was uh, it's fun to see these projects take new life uh, in a new form factor and, and see them out in the world as a book. And, and what's in the book? Can you describe um, some of the, I guess there are projects that are, or is it... Um, instructional yeah it's a project-based book um and so the kinds of projects that that we included were ones that take as their core the led throwy as sort of the basic um building block where you have an led in a coin cell and you um, incorporate that into something whether that's um putting it into something beautiful like a um uh, sea urchin shell or um, making a, a greeting card out of it by etching plastic, um, those kinds of things. And then the future, the, the later chapters in the book um, go over more complicated things like uh, adding microcontrollers to change the behavior of the LED and, and those kinds of things. What was your particular project for it? Uh, so like I said, there was the sea urchins, um, 10 LED projects for geeks. So 10 is sort of a loosely defined uh, number where um, my one project is actually several 
so we did the LED seat lit sea urchins, edge lit uh, greeting cards, uh, a little dark detecting uh, circuit, and then my favorite, electric origami. How does that work? Uh, so you can add circuits to paper using either um, uh, foil tape, like aluminum foil tape or copper foil mm-hmm. tape, or you can um, use different methods of uh, affixing things like aluminum foil to paper. We used a couple different things like um, transfer paper and um, ironing it on so that it adheres to toner. Um but essentially drawing out a circuit that you know is going to work with the origami shape that you have and putting the traces on the paper before you fold it up. And then when you fold it up, you're, um, in this case, we used a, a little origami balloon. Uh, you have pockets in the balloon where you can put the LED and the battery. So you fold it up, your circuits are, your traces are already on the paper, and then you add the battery and the LED and it lights up. That sounds fun. Cool. So that book, uh, when when did you say the book came out? Uh, it was 2018. Oh, <laughs> it's been years. a it's been a long march. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the book came out in 2018. Okay, and are cool. you still fooling around with uh, LEDs? Is there anything kind of new in that world that's um, that wasn't present in 2018 when you wrote the book? Um. Not a whole lot has changed. Well, the thing that has changed is the ubiquity of um, individually addressable LEDs. Uh, and they've gotten better over time. Um, so I haven't been messing around with those very much, um, but I've been seeing a lot of people doing projects based on those because they're, they've gotten very easy to use, very um, available, uh, and um, they've gotten better in terms of brightness and um, power management and so on. So that's the one big change that we've had over the last few years. Uh, we've made a couple of different projects over the last several years um, to make some of the simple circuits a little bit more accessible. We made one that's a, a flickery flame kit. that is just a circuit board for driving several LEDs at once from a battery box. And by putting it onto a, a printed circuit board, it makes it easier for people to sort of do wire management and uh, not have to wire it all up themselves. So we've been making a bunch of those kits. They make really good um, beginner soldering kits because they have more than just one LED. So you don't feel like you only had one thing to try out, that you you had a few LEDs that you could test and make sure you really had good technique and, and got to practice. I wondered, I was just wondering if anybody's made kind of um, a weavable, like a, one that's narrow, like a thread, and you could actually um, weave it into cloth. Um, there are some of the newer fairy lights uh, that have that are um, connected with magnet wire. Uh, I don't know of anyone who's weaving weaving it in um, because if if you end up with broken traces, they're much harder to track down. But I know that people are using the super thin um, strands uh, in fabric projects these days. Mm-hmm, that's cool. All right. Well, Lenore, thanks so much. This has been really interesting. I uh, really enjoyed hearing about these things. And I'm going to snag that 37 cent copy of the purpose, the all purpose <laughs> joy of cooking before any of our readers can. <laughs> thanks for letting us know about it, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks. So, thanks so much, Lenore. This is great. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you as always.
Hey everybody, it's Mark from the Cool Tools Podcast. I want to thank you for being a listener to Cool Tools. And I also would like to let you know about our Patreon page. If you would like to support the Cool Tools show, as well as our video channel, the website, and all the newsletters that we do, you can go to patreon.com slash cool tools. That's just one word, cool tools. And pledge any amount you want. You could even pledge a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. We have editors. We pay for transcribing costs. We pay our reviewers. Every bit of money that you contribute goes towards supporting the show. I'd like to give a shout out to our supporters of the Cool Tools podcast. This week, I'd like to thank the following Patreon supporters. Bill Schuler, Bob Kay, Ryan Pelly, Carl D. Patterson, Chad Cosby, Chris Wieland, Chris Weirstook, Craig Tooker, Dan O'Brien, Dean Putney, Donnell Cunningham, Evan Barker, Graham Medlin, Hans Riesbeck, Helen Hegedus, Jerry Kearns, Jim Lesko, Jim Spofford, John Pollock, John Burdenbaugh, Keith O., Ken Altman, Les Howard, Lauren Bast, Mock Nerd, Malton Make, Mark Goebel, Matt Gromes, Michael Douglas, Michael Jones, and Michael Pecorini. Thanks to all of you for supporting the Cool Tools Show. We really appreciate it. <laughs>